0: There we go, you got it. Do we? Do we really?
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Insidious. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. Joel. I'm Dave.
2: And I'm Austin.
1: And just like Insidious, the further you travel, the darker it gets, which is definitely true. Uh, so if you don't like crude humor or my voice, you may as well turn it off now because it's not going to get any better. Uh, now, this week's film on trial is the 2010 horror film Insidious. Is it Lipstick Face Demon or is it Darth Maul on crack? Uh
3: <laughs> I feel like your delivery is getting worse. Not only are the jokes getting worse, you're, you just, your you heart isn't in it anymore. <laughs> you don't believe
1: it. You don't believe the jokes as much. You know why it was? It's because I borrowed that joke off Joel. So uh, that's why I don't believe it. I didn't write it myself. Apologies. Uh, I'm sorry for trying to pass it off as my own work, Joel. i, I I'm... <laughs> <laughs> right now uh, but uh, we're just going to try and find out is it worthy of going on our hit list or is it not worthy of going on our hit list which means it'll end up on our shit list or something much like. better much <laughs> yeah. better yeah. <laughs> right. so just to say this would be a very spoiler graphic episode so if you haven't seen insidious yet check it out um if it's on netflix uh, so if you have a netflix account great if you don't You probably do have somebody else's account, so just watch it on that. Anyway, you can listen to this episode after you've watched the film, or you can just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast-forward to our quiz. This week, it's going to be brought to us by Dave, and it's going to start around 45 minutes. We reckon. Who knows? We'll find out. Anyway, before we go on, our last film on trial was Tenet. Now, Aussie, you judged that trial, and you deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. You've since gone away and you've watched the film. Did you make the right call?
3: Um, do you know what it was? A it was a it was an odd way to spend you know the best part of three hours, um, not least because the cinema is odd in itself being so empty. But um, yeah, it's definitely a spectacle. I think it's on the right list because of all of the effort that's gone into it. I have no idea what went on.
0: Um, so I I, I, believe I cannot it's... believe you all like it. I'm just shocked, and and also I just want you to know from now on, whenever the idea that I like pretentious films come up, I just want you <laughs> yeah. to know that through my head I'll just be thinking, yeah, well yeah. they all like Tenet. You know I was going to that's, well, that's well, all that's going <laughs> to be going on.
3: I think that's what's gone on in, with with is it's basically like Emperor's New Clothes type effort. Is, yes, um, yeah, 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 it is pretension. Mm down to a T in that you've got all of this just mad mad action it's really weird to watch. No idea how the story really ties together with itself other than these crazy loops. Um but yeah I thought it was enjoyable. Like as long as you're not actually trying to follow what's going on you can get the rest you know <laughs> as you long can, as
1: you're not watching it. Yeah. It's a good time.
3: Like it I think it was entertaining. It's good to be in a cinema. It was
1: nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think it was like if Ter- Terrence Malick directed a Christopher Nolan film? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Which one's Terrence Malick? Is that the guy who um, from r- *I, Robot*?
4: Yeah. No, no, it's Rami Malik. <laughs> uh, Terence Malik is the director of Tree of Life. Oh uh, right, okay. Yeah. But well, I think the, we author, need to, the author, yeah.
1: let's call him. <laughs> I think we need to see that film now. Like, Terence Malik directed an action film starring Rami Malik.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we all know it's gonna be starring Sean
1: Penn.
2: <laughs>
1: and he okay. won't be in it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, uh, okay, onto the bulk of the show. This week's film wasn't picked out of the Hat of random, but was instead picked by by me uh, i picked the film because i think it's really great and i am willing to fight anybody who thinks otherwise uh so let's 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 get started as i pick the film i will be acting as defense and trying to get the film placed on the hit list uh i'm a little bit like the old lady ghost uh, an annoying photo bombing, odd looking prick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, now, all of the other roles have been picked at random. So joining me in events will be Alex. Now, Alex is a little bit like Ty Simpkins' character, Dalton. He's likely to be sent into a deep, deep corner at the mere mention of having to go back to school. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Ozzy and Dave. Now, Ozzy is a little bit like Lee Wannell's specs. A geeky, bespectacled techie loser. That's not very nice, but... (laughs) Jesus. I mean, I got off very (laughs) lightly. I I feel like like
0: you can see how Gav feels about us week to week. Like, mine was fine. Mine was really
1: nice, but Ozzy... Ozzy. And Dave is just like Angus Sampson's Tucker. Also a geeky, techie loser, but who probably wears contact lenses.
4: <laughs> <laughs> probably? How long have you known me, <laughs> I,
1: well, I, I'm just guessing that the character wears contact lenses. I know that you do, right? but yeah. Fage eyes uh, are
3: practically all contact lenses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, like, like Thor in Ragnarok, but you've just got two of those little robotic eyes. Uh, now... There's nothing here, honestly. It's just pupils, no irises. <laughs> Now, uh, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Which means this week, Joel has the most important role as he will be playing the judge. And Joel is just like the lipstick faced demon. He's quiet and menacing, and when he is in the room, Nobody really notices that he's there. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Joel. Um, Now, which so yeah, now Joel must decide which list the film should be placed on the hit <laughs> or the shit list based solely on the arguments put we to have him. decided to so be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, before we get started, or before Joel has to make a proper decision, uh, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. Oh. Okay, now here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week, it's landed on Alex. So how would we like Alex to read out the synopsis?
0: Um, Tiny one. Tim. Tiny Tim? Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim.
1: Yeah, that'd be a
4: good one. The guy, <laughs> the guy who sings Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll give it a go.
0: A family looks to prevent <laughs> evil spirits from trapping there, comatose child in a realm called the further <laughs> <laughs> how you?
4: That well done man yeah well being. done well done well done
1: thank you how it's how like you feel? tim's back I, with I, us I teach singing so <laughs> um yeah, I don't know why I laughed so heartily there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, yeah, without further hesitation, Joel, can you please kick off proceedings?
2: Okay. Um, so if there's one thing that I know, it's that every time Gav picks a horror film on this show, it's normally terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start off uh, with you, Gav, and just explain to me why this one isn't terrible.
1: Right. Firstly, the, the, right, Tales to the crypt, Demon Knight. Gav, don't don't, he's, don't don't take his bait, Gav. Don't. Secondly, Suspiria. So I, I don't even get me started on fucking Suspiria right now. Right, I'm I'm so angry. I don't even know if I can deliver this uh, this, this, this defense. Right. Okay. Um. So yeah. Right. This film is is a standard sort of ghost story, a haunted house story, delivered by one of the best directors in the game, know James Wan, uh, written by James Wan and Lee Wannell as well, who both wrote Saw and have collaborated on The Conjuring as well. You know, this was actually not just a really impressive and scary horror film, but it was quite revolutionary. Um, now, the, one of the things is that it broke tropes uh, so like this film why i like it so or much insidious sorry insidious well you could say the same well, about Saw, but for well the i was going to reasons... say maybe
3: you could only say it about Saw. but
1: carry on uh, well you well i'm <laughs> going to tell you why you can't just say it about Saw, actually austin um, so well, what happened with Saw is that that created this brand new genre of torture porn didn't it and then for a while in the 20- torture porn. Oh, torture is, porn you sure is that that a that's
0: genre? is that the
1: genre that's what it's called isn't it not when, I'm I think going, that's a when I'm not flicking on Netflix, it it's not going like, yeah, <laughs> thrillers, <laughs> horror, torture porn. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty. See, it's not always called. It's called. It's not that. Uh, I, think I that's feel the, like the, that's I think that's
0: something it. else you're watching there, now, now you mention it. Was, is it the like voyeuristic horror?
2: No, sort of no,
1: it's no, um, the latest torture porn <laughs> is it is it like is it torture, torture horror well you know what I'm trying to say it's like torture horror uh torture horror movies like you know yeah it's cool I've literally just typed it in on my work laptop torture porn
4: <laughs> cool. I'm just gonna
3: remind you by the way Gab, you're on Siobhan's laptop
4: <laughs> and what was it you just said at the start of the episode don't do anything dodgy if you use <laughs> and that took about 10 minutes
1: before. T- Torture porn got typed into it. (laughs) Anyway, it's not torture porn, right? It's not like Saw. It's not like Hostel. This is something completely different. So, like, 20th or 21st century horror films, they went through this, like, very tropey. They just became very generic. You had the torture porn films, torture (laughs) horror films, I should say. Then you had, like, a lot of, like, J-horror, you know, like The Ring and The Grudge, and then a lot of found footage stuff, like Paranormal Activity. This was, like, the first sort of haunted horror house movie. That like, there was, you know, I, we hadn't seen a film like this in, in absolute years. Um, and it uh, revitalized that genre. And uh, there was a slew of films after that, like The Conjuring and The Babadook. It's it kind of moving away from gore and returning to just shocks and just, you know, good storytelling. And um, one of the great things I like about this is it isn't tropey. It's completely different. You know, when the uh, writers were uh, writing the film, they sat down with a list of all of the biggest horror tropes that they absolutely hated, and I they were they like... put them all in there. no austin the opposite it was to avoid them all so the number one is in a haunted house movie if the house is haunted why just stay in there so one of the things that happens in this is the house is haunted they move house halfway through and then the ghost follows them there and then it transpires that it's actually the child that's haunted um you know number
3: two by the way so yeah, He's haunted house child. child. <laughs> so the two tropes of horror
1: movies. <laughs> <laughs> but like this, this essentially laid out a blueprint for how horror movies can be made. You know, uh, we worked with Bloomhouse. It was quite revolutionary at the time. It made for like a very, very small budget. Ends up grossing a hell of a lot. And then, you know, small independent horror films have gone on to work with Bloomhouse so uh, much more frequently. Um, and yeah, it, it was also more of a return to adult horror as well. It was moving away from that sort of like grudge and ring type of just focusing on making a horror film, like a 12, which I always thought was completely bonkers. And although it wasn't an 18, it was kind of showing you that, yeah, we can still make horror films that appeal to like a younger audience, but are also more adult friendly as well. And, of course, it was the launch pad for James Wan, I mentioned before. You know, he really kind of came to fame after Saw, both him and Lee Wan, a tremendous success with that film that then spawned a huge franchise. Um, but then they kind of went under the radar a little bit. They made Death Sentence and Dead Silent, which I think are uh, like two really good films, by the way. Uh, but this really catapulted him into, like, director stardom, and he's now one of the you know, biggest directors working today. Um, the, the film itself, I just think is, you know, it's it's a, it's an interesting take on that haunted house sort of um, genre that we've heard before. A family moves into a new house. Um, something happens uh, where a child, one of their children is in the attic, and t- takes a fright, falls into a deep coma. They think that the house is haunted. Um, they move house and then they find out that it's actually the child that's haunted. So they then get a medium in to kind of try and communicate with the child try and figure out what's going on it turns out that he can um, astro project so he can leave his body or you know he leaves it as an empty vessel but as he's left it a number of like bad knobhead ghosts basically want to inhabit the body so it's essentially the film is like trying to get the kid back into his body uh, and to defeat the bad knobhead ghosts and it is brilliant that's all I want to say
2: okay so um Dave and Ozzy. Gav said this film kind of avoids the typical horror tropes. Ozzy, you said um, kids are a big horror trope, which uh, I kind of do have to agree with you there. But, what, um,
4: kids in general are a Yeah, Yeah, they're scary. scary kids are, let's be fair, Absolutely. they are. You better teacher, too. just ask him.
2: kid
1: isn't scary, he's in a coma. <laughs>
2: um, you know, G- Gav mentioned that You know, this does uh, quite a lot of new interesting things and moves away from all the kind of generic stuff that came before it. Would you guys agree with that or would you say that this is just kind of more the same?
4: Um, I have to disagree with what Gav says, to be honest with you. Um, I agree with what he says, that horror was kind of in a bit of a rut when Insidious came along. You know, you'd had a lot of found, found footage films that started with a Blair Witch Project and kind of culminated with paranormal activity. You'd had a lot of slasher films, which had been big since, I don't know, I guess I guess Halloween had a bit of a resurgence with Scream. This didn't do anything new. Like I've said, it read it put a blueprint down for how horror films could go forward. That blueprint was already on the table. It was just buried. This film is essentially Poltergeist, uh, affable middle class. Poltergeist? Did you say? Poltergeist that <laughs> uh, new Poltergeist is going to get mentioned <laughs>
3: uh, Paltry, Paltry Poltergeist is a breath of fresh air in, in, in by
4: comparison, comparison yeah <laughs> but Poltergeist right came out in the 80s big horror film affable middle class family move into a house three children one of them gets into trouble with this kind of like supernatural realm um, so they bring in a psychic and a two assistants to help retrieve the child and bring them back to safety it is essentially Poltergeist Insidious and Poltergeist could be interchangeable you could hack the two films together into splice scenes and you'd probably still have a pretty good idea what was going on. They gel pretty much together and it's more or less the same plot points. Um, So I would say this doesn't actually bring anything new to the table. It just brings something along that a lot of people had moved on from. (coughs) This film, this blueprint was already down. This sort of film had already been made and made well. You didn't, Poltergeist wasn't uh, a film that had potential that wasn't tapped into. It was a huge hit. You didn't need to essentially remake Poltergeist in such a way. Um, I agree that James Wan is a very talented director, but this is at the end of the day, as Gav says, the standard ghost story. Uh, it, it includes a lot of, uh, horror tropes. It may have broken the, the contemporary tropes of its day, but all it did was move back in time. It just brought forward a lot of things that people hadn't really forgotten about a genre that people hadn't moved away from and felt very fondly about, you know, Amityville, horror, poltergeist, all the, uh, all these films kind of. Were the precursors to insidious? And although James Wan acknowledges Poltergeist and says he intended it to be an homage, um, we've we've established on the podcast a number of times before that you know a love letter to a, a genre or a type of film isn't necessarily what we want to see. You know, revisiting things, paying homage to things—it's all well and good, but it doesn't mean the finished product, the finished film that you're about to put out there, is worthy of recognition or even worthy of the esteemed hit list status.
2: Okay, thanks for that, Dave. Gav, I think you wanted to, uh, you know, have a pick a little bit of a fight with Dave there.
1: Yeah, I just you think, uh, okay, it's similar in story to Poltergeist, but you can't say that it's just like, oh, why did, why did it need to be made when Poltergeist came before? You can literally say that about so many horror films, just because two horror films are very, very similar doesn't mean that you know, or oh, what so, oh, one is just a copy of the other one. I mean, look at like any slasher film, like Halloween to Friday the Thirteenth to Scream. Very, like all of them are very, very similar. Doesn't mean that you know, like one of them is like robbing off the other one. It just means that you know, like kind of they're exploring similar themes, they're paying homage to it, and you know, just as long as they're both good films, and it's not like a carbon copy rob off, and they don't acknowledge uh, what's come before them, as Dave has already said that they have done. Then I don't see what the what the harm is to be honest it's like wouldn't you want to kind of revisit uh, a a, a genre or like a type of story that was created 30 years ago but with the technology and with new storytelling and you know like with the uh, you know a new eye on how stories should be told for you know a 21st century audience you know it's I just think it's it's uh, I'd rather watch Insidious doing a, a, a good job of kind of rehashing poltergeist than watching the remake of poltergeist which was absolutely awful you know so it's i'd like to see a fresh take on something similar
2: quite similar to my gary oldman quote yet more copied things uh okay alex uh and i see you wanted to mention something or did gav cover that off for
0: no I'd, I'd you know i just i'd just say poltergeist itself didn't just set it didn't it didn't invent the haunted house you know the haunted house was it'd been in fiction before films were even made so you know this has been going back hundreds of years so you know the, I, I don't think we just did poltergeist and it's like right guys no more haunted house stuff now you know um one thing gav didn't mention because i don't think you know even though he loves horror films it's not something he uh feels very much it's just insidious is terrifying it's truly terrifying and it's one of the scariest films i've seen in absolute years this is the second time watching it and i didn't want to watch it this time and, and i was just as scared um like really, really uncomfortably scared. You know, sometimes even the Conjuring, which I found really scary, I was watching that fairly recently. This is beyond that. It's far more disturbing. It's 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 really, really does get to some sort of primal fear node in me. Um, The the story is really, really fascinating and it's believable. Like their descent into believing in the supernatural is really good and much better than other haunted house films. And just, you know, Gav was talking about the tropes before and Ozzy and Dave were sort of saying, well, the tropes have been been done before. We've had, you know, scary children. I mean, there isn't a scary children, but we've had these things. I think when James Wan was um, sitting down and talking about these tropes before and making sure that they didn't come in, I think this is like the scene by scene stuff. So, like, the um, this, this, the jump scares in this are the best jump scares in a film for me. I can't think of a film that has better jump scares, stuff that really makes you jump back. And I think that's what they were doing. It, it's not like they were thinking, right, we've got to reinvent the whole haunted house genre. It's more when the jump scares come, you're really not expecting it. It's not when they would normally come. So you, you can watch a film like The Conjuring, which is really, really good, But you know a scare's coming. They're walking down the basement and they've got the torch out and the torch goes out of batteries or whatever. And then they start, you know, it comes on and the light comes on and, oh, face in front of you. This, they can be having a chat in the middle of the day and all of a sudden there's a a face, a a, a demon's head behind the characters and you jump out of your skin. A lipstick, not demons. Not lipstick demons demon, not just any demon,
3: like Darth Maul back from
0: Darth the Maul. depths of that. That absolutely hall. you don't. You can you can you can try and um, pass it off, Aussie, but I can tell. I know when that came on. You just must have shat yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I won't. I won't lie that way. That, that, that is the I jump scare myself. of the, of it, the, the it film. It is one. It is a very it good takes... jump scare, but it is one, and it the, like. I, you know, I could basically finish it on that. Insidious is absolutely terrifying and it's a horror film. So do you know what I mean? What, what, what really, what more do you need than that?
3: Okay. Can I, can I add to that, that it's, it's really fucking slow. It takes 20 minutes before the story starts. Like that kid, like the kid this... doesn't go into a coma until like 22, 23 minutes into the film. And that's when people get haunted. Do you know what I mean? It just takes so, so long.
0: So I would, I, I'd say that's what's great about it because... That it starts when there's not as much jump scares and it just goes in more frequency. So by the end you are just boom, being pounded by jump scares. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly didn't mean that to sound like it did when it came out. But yeah, it you are the just the sound being, effects as well. <laughs> you are just being pounded by it by the end. And at the start you're not. So at the start you're wondering when it's coming and then it starts increasing in frequency. And that's where this I think that's where this feeling of just being disturbed so disturbed comes from. Okay. Um so I'll give the prosecution a bit of a chance as
2: well to, to reply here. So Alex says it's extremely scary and, um, you know, just because it, things may have been done before, you know, as long as you do them well type of thing, it doesn't really matter. It's the similar type of argument that we've heard before with, you know, many other films, action films, that type of thing. And I'm kind of fully on board with that stuff as well. I don't think any, every single film has to do something new as long as it does it well. And um, so uh, Ozzy and Dave, do you think this is scary? Uh, bear in mind that, you know, I I think we've got two ends of the spectrum here that Alex is probably a little bit more tolerant than me in terms of we get scared quite easy and Gav is just dead inside. Uh, so I don't really know why, <laughs> yeah. why he even bothers watching the scary films. So, you know, I think, <laughs> I think you two are probably somewhere in the middle of that. Um, so do you think it's, you know, scary Did the scares affect you you know is it that type of thing when you turn off the, the lights at night and you have to cuddle your uh, your partners
4: I think the first time you watch it there are some very good jump scare well there's one very good jump scare and we just talked about it the lipstick demon that appears behind uh, Patrick Wilson that is a very good jump scare I'll give him that but that's really all the film has going for it jump scares. And they do, they keep those jump scares coming at you, they keep coming out of the cupboard and through the floor and out of the ceiling. But a jump scare in itself is a little bit cheap. I prefer more atmospheric sort of horror films. You know, if you like jump scares, then you know what, give this film a go. You'll get one good watch out of it because there are plenty of jump scares in it. But a jump scare in itself is a bit of a cheap tactic. You know, all that happens is something jumps out into your face, out of the blue, and a loud noise, be it like 30-odd violins suddenly crescendoing together or someone hitting a drum. It's a cheap trick, a very cheap trick. And it's not necessarily... You know, I think it's a little bit beneath James Wan and Lee Wannell, to be honest with you. I think they are in the terms of the horror genre of which they are so, so familiar, I think they're better. Than this, than the than the jump scare, I think it is a little tacky.
1: Of the Dave, you, you sound so disappointed. It's like, I, it's I like hope you're their teacher. I can, just, I can I can see
0: James one listening to the podcasters with his head lowering down. Than this, James, <laughs>
4: you, James you, you know you, you showed such promise. <laughs> I am it mad, all James. go to shit. For what? I'm just disappointed in you. <laughs> For what? A man with a red face. You know you can do better. Better. <laughs> yeah. uh, e minus, stay behind uh, the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So speaking of promise, speaking of unrealized promise, the first half of the film I actually think um is is quite entertaining. It's quite promising. It starts off quite well. You know, there's one bit, it's all about atmospheric horror. Within the first 30 seconds, uh the camera's like panning through the bedroom and it goes to the old woman. that goes to the old woman, and that is a proper like, okay, that's creepy. This is gonna be good you then get that good jump scare with the lipstick demon about maybe half an hour in or so, but then it kind of descends into silliness. I think they had a great, well, maybe not a great, but they had a decent first half of a script But then it all kind of, the plot started to unravel and the filmmakers couldn't keep up with the pace that they'd set. And it all got a bit daft. Um, You know, sometimes less is more. That's why when you see the lipstick demon, you only see half of his face. You know, that's a good, go back to Jaws and Spielberg. When you don't see the shark, it's really quite effective. Less is more in that regard. Once you see the demon, you know, once you go down to his lair and he's playing Tiny Tim's tiptoe through the tulips and grinding his nails on an angle grinder, and then he's pressed up against the glass, you know, sticking his tongue out. If you want to know what it's like to be haunted by Gene Simmons, for it's <laughs> essentially <laughs> going to be, yeah, it got a bit silly. That, di- that yeah, demon that's was a- more effective when we didn't see him, when we didn't see his full face, when we didn't know that he was just a guy, this scrawny guy painted red with like these weird sort of like, Guns and Roses esque nails stuck on there. That was
3: exactly that's what broke the whole um, the whole feel for me. Genuine, genuinely, mm. is that that scene? And as it's across and he's got like the fucking magnifying glass over his eye. It looks like the scene from like um, Fantasia or something, you know, or like Dick Dastardly or something. You know, he's like a proper cartoon. Yeah, I,
1: um, I, what's I, more scary than brooms coming to life by themselves and dancing yeah. around you <laughs> in tutus?
3: It was like it was like a witch, you know, like sharpening its claws ready to to cook. It was just I just felt so comic booky instead yeah. of um, like yeah it just it just took it away from what was uh, very promising.
4: I agree. And then just to round up you, you ask, is it scary? And it's like if if jump scares get to you on the first watch, yeah, you know there's some good jump scares in here that you will react to. Second time around in terms of longevity and rewatchability it's not really there. You will remember the jump scares, you know, they're coming, you know, there is a setup. There's the classic setup that leads you to these jump scares. They're nothing particularly special in that regard. Um, So yeah, for a first watch, maybe you'll get some good jump scares out of it. After that, the magic's gone. There's not much to see here.
0: I had to go to the toilet at least three times and I didn't always make it, Joel. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I'd prepared with some pampers beforehand. That's uh, all I'm saying.
1: I, I still have the brand staying on my couch where Alex watched it the first time round. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: know. I was, I was with Gav, I remember, and he, and his cat was on me and I was so thankful that the cat stayed there. <laughs> the entire time.
2: Uh, Okay, uh, so that kind of nicely <laughs> leads us on to the direction then. So... Uh, Dave said that, you know, he was quite disappointed in James really on a deeply personal <laughs> level.
4: <laughs> I, I don't think I could look him in the eye again.
2: After that. <laughs> uh, so Gav, um, you know, what do, What do you think about that? Do you think that perhaps James should have got, you know, a, a better report card from Dave or...
1: Yeah, too. I, I think Dave's been incredibly harsh. Uh, I think Dave is maybe milking this a little bit more. I don't really think that Dave is being wholly honest. I, I think, I don't think it's just about jump scares. One thing that I think this film does really good again you know like quite different from all the other films that were on uh, like about that time is that it doesn't start with a cold open There's so many horror films it's very very tropey to be like bang oh here's a big scare and then we're into the film you know like oh it's like oh here's the killer and he's just killed somebody and oh jesus christ the credits roll and you know it wasn't that it started with this really kind of eerie scene through a child's bedroom and then you know we have the zoom in of the of the old lady ghost and um, it doesn't like kind of jump out of anywhere it's just there just watching this child through the window, and we're zooming into the, um, the the face, and then the title comes on, and it's the really, really impactful sort of, as Dave said before, thirty violins, you know, kind of just going frantically. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah it's, it's it's really, really impactful, and then from there, it's like this really long tension-building horror. Um, you know, the, 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 it wasn't the, it wasn't like kind of um. It, it didn't spoon feed the audience you know we're treated like an intelligent audience there's, there's no sort of stupid character introductions um you know or, you know like oh hello my husband how are you doing today you know or there's no like expo- uh, like over expository that da- uh descriptions of like really, or, or method- really? yeah no, yeah, no there reasons-
3: the isn't astral I was- praying that they talk about for like about 25 minutes when the um the, 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 that- the paranormal mormons they come in so it's uh, right,
1: that's moments. our place. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that that's like what 40 minutes into it and you know you can't not have any sort of expository dialogue to explain what's going on but that often with horror films it'll start with a bit of lore or mythology and you know like kind of go into the oh yeah what's happened before here is this you know it's nothing it just kind of introduces you here's a family figure out who's who and there they you go you know the, the opening scene like not a lot really happens in it but it's the way that it's filmed combined with the music that really sets the tone and then as the film continues it just like kind of keeps chipping away it's like mounting up objects are just out of place you know there's knocks on the door and then there's just more and more and before you know we actually start seeing the ghosts we're treated to that sort of like paranormal thing where there's just like kind of objects missing and then we get a couple of jump scares dave said that there's only one there's more than one it's a, a really good, well, one, jump scare good one. one good one no no come on <laughs> right so the, the, the several ones that what i thought was really effective if, um i I don't know if it's been done before um but it's definitely been done since is they use the baby monitor quite well so the entire time rose Byrne's character is like a struggling musician she's trying to play something on the piano and she's listening to the baby monitor and she's like what the hell is that she's like listening and it sounds like somebody's talking really quietly and then before you know it they're just screaming and like they're, they're shouting something at the baby so she runs upstairs and there's nobody there there's a couple of times like that where it's really effective and there's another one where she wakes up at night she's in the same room as the baby and she can just see somebody pacing outside and she was like like looking close like looking out the window and this person's just like pacing back and forth in front of the window and they go off the camera and then when they come back when they pace across the camera again they're actually in the room and they like kind of lunge themselves at Rose Byrne's character and it is like really sort of like holy shit I didn't expect that. You, so the- you, you've just never
0: seen that before that's the bit that they've done differently so the trope would be that you know knock on the door knock on the window or something like that the fact that she comes in the room the, the, the way the jump scares are is refreshing, I think. Sorry, I yeah. interrupted.
1: You. No, 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 no. That's that, that's pretty much, yeah. That, that, that's what I wanted to say. I, I just think that, as Alex said, it is not just the the jump scares themselves, but it's the way that they're brought, and also, you know, it's beautifully shot as well. You know, it's a very well filmed, you know, uh, film. <laughs> you know, the cinematography is leaps and bounds from the standard horror films that you were getting at the time. You know, it, it's reminding us that horror films can be more, um, you know, uh, you know, they can be differently shot they can be beautiful you know they don't have to be this sort of carbon cut and copy paste bullshit that was going before them you know like you watch any sort of film from uh, early sort of noughties hollywoods with regards to horror it, they're very very similar it's just like kind of like t- they took the foot off the pedal with regards to horror and they didn't give them the amount. you look at films like the shining or poltergeist or texas chainsaw mascot they've, they've all got their own distinctive look to them and they're all beautifully shot and intricately made. And then for ages, you just had generic stuff, and then this came along, and it was showing you that, you know what? Horror films can be beautiful. They can be really well-crafted, well-made, and well-written.
2: Okay. Um, So, Gav briefly kind of touched on the... The sound there and Alex as well so that kind of in the horror films that I've seen anyway uh, and especially the kind of atmospheric ones that aren't you know just gore related plays a a massive a massive role so Dave and Ozzy what do you think of of the sound in this one do you think it was good I know a lot of the time you know it's meant to kind of keep you on edge or make you feel uncomfortable like with sounds that aren't nice to hear technically and that type of thing so Aussie. Oh, I mean that's that's that
3: is literally what what goes on the problem with the sound I think is it's part of the jump scare it's it, it gets a little bit tedious after a while so the first one is great and it's where Dave was saying you know 30 odd violins but played at deafening volume you know it's such a big jump from the 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 vocals so when you're hearing somebody talking you're hearing all of the the background music and you're watching the you know, it's incredibly quiet. The next thing you know, the jump scare comes and, you know, it's blowing your speakers out. It's, it's, you know, your eardrums. It's an onslaught on your ears for these jumps. And as it gets towards the end, there's so much of it. It's almost tiresome, you know. Yeah, Yeah, Dave, Dave. Uh,
4: Yeah, I want to agree with what Austin's saying. I actually have a bit of a problem with the sound in this film. Now, maybe it's because I was watching it like Gone Midnight and I was very mindful about waking other people up in the house, but I had to keep cranking it up whenever the dialogue was down and then like frantically turn it down whenever a jump scare occurred. Honestly, the sound level is that off. It's, uh, you really have to strain to hear the dialogue because that's recorded very low. And then the sound effects and the, the crescendo in music, you know, the bit that contributes to the jump scare is so loud it's again i go back to what i was saying about jump scares being a bit of a cheap trick that is a cheap trick you know it's not like the sound engineer was bad he knew what he was doing you know this direction came from james Wan to make sure everything the background noise and the dialogue was low so people are straining they're having to lean in and listen and then boom jump scare in your face big crescendo in noise and it seems so much louder than it actually is because everything else has been so quiet that's not skill, though. You could do this sort of thing with a camera phone or with a home movie. You know, that's that's not it's skill. That's not directing skill. That's not sound editing skill. You know, that's it's as I said before, it's a very cheap, schlocky it, tactic. It, and one that's been used it's before. It's not even innovative.
3: It's the sort of thing that doesn't necessarily translate well out of a cinema. It works very well in a controlled room in a cinema. And I, and I think if I'd have seen this in the cinema, I'd have gone, fuck, that was brilliant. But, mm. but in you know in a home movie vibe where everyone's going to watch it these days it's it's just a bit yeah. frustrating
4: I think I, think I only uh, noticed it really I didn't notice it first time around I noticed it second time around like I said because I was watching it late at night and I didn't want to wake Cat up so I was like frantically turning it down and then turning it back up and turning it down so you notice there was a bit of a problem there
2: I think um, Tenet may have that problem as well when that comes mm. To, mm.
0: to home release one, um, of, one of many but gone <laughs> 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 uh, So so Brucey go on it is scary though. You know, this is the word that, you know, uh, it was I feel like Ozzy's smack
3: around the face Aussie and like Dave. up
0: Ozzie <laughs> <laughs> and Dave were sort of shying away from there, is that it's very scary. What they're doing with the sound works because maybe it's a cheap trick. I I don't
4: care. I don't care. It's jarring. It's not scary. It's jarring. I don't care if my
0: film's um, full of cheap tricks. I just don't care at all. I I want it to be doing what it's meant to be. So if there's an action and it's cheap tricking me into enjoying the action, go for it. I don't mind. Like it's, it's really scary. So, and those violins, again, it's refreshing. It's new. You haven't heard this. Maybe you've heard like jangly things coming, but those violins, when you first hear them in that shot that Gav was saying, Nothing happens, right? And this is the incredible thing that this sound manages to do. All you're looking at is a face in a window. It's not a jump scare. So, you know, Dave's saying it's cheap tricks all the time. It's not. That is a, a face that's there that you slowly zoom into as the music builds and builds and builds and these violins just go, and, and just keep going and keep going until your brain just... And I I couldn't tell you why I'm scared of that bit, right? But it is absolutely... It's one of the best openings to a film, and it's because it's so original. Yeah.
1: No. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd just, just like to to add, so like a lot of the um, the music was performed um, in the editing process so it was very sort of improvisational and i think that's why it's so good so instead of like what you get sometimes is you know like obviously the composer will watch the film and go like oh, i think it needs to be this 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 it was more sort of like um atonal so it was more sort of like reactionary just like a, i think it was um just like a, a string quartet uh which they just over uh, overlapped you know several times and then somebody on the piano and then a drum so a lot of it's just like banging and yeah, like scratching the uh, the strings um you know it, and it is very, very effective. And Dave was saying about, um, you know, like oh, it, it's, it's just cheap. I don't think it is. I think you know, it's, it's, it's. A surprise to the senses. You can't just kind of like sign up for just like, oh yeah, I just want something to kind of frighten me just visually. It's you know, it's an audible scare as well. Uh, you know, like sometimes that that's more effective. If you're walking down the street, and you hear a big bang. You know, you go, oh my god. You know what I mean? Because that is effective. So that is what they've done. They've you know not only given you like a visual scare, but they've given you an audible one as well. And you know, Dave was saying about the the sound quality, and I don't think that's the film's problem. You know, like. We went to go and see um, a director. you Are you slacking off Dave's TV now? Well, <laughs> oh, I, I am. I a system I am. set up. It's, it's the, the same Dave hasn't calibrated up. his yeah. sound bar. He, ha- he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't. Watch no, it, no, watch it, it now. What's built-in sound bar?
4: <laughs> Come you on,
1: Gav. No, you I, can I will, make no, fun no. of many things, but don't make fun, <laughs> of, don't a make fun of a man's soundbar. No, I will say that, so we went and saw a director's talk with Ben Wheatley when he was talking about Free Fire. And he was saying about like how he'd recorded like hundreds of different sound effects for guns being fired and he was fed up of like what happens is like you get something in a cinema and then when it is converted to tv or when it's converted to a dvd or whatever it's all the same sound level so that's why sometimes you get films like this which when you see them in the cinema they're like oh my god it's amazing it was so effective and then you go home and then the sound levels are just completely off it's, it frustrates me so much you know like because i'm watching a film and as dave said i'm constantly kind of like lowering and high, and it's got nothing to do with the film itself it's just when it's been converted to the format that it's in it just hasn't been done properly so I don't really think that we can you know discredit James uh, Wan for that we, you know that's not something that we should be disappointed with I've
4: warned James Wan about this before <laughs>
1: <I'm>,
0: <laughs> the man just
4: doesn't listen oh, do okay. your best, but... can
0: I can I sort of like <laughs> You've got to hey, let them make hey their guys, mistakes I, sometimes, can, these directors,
3: yeah. don't you? <laughs> hey, guys, can I just circle back and go back to Sorry. it? Um, <laughs> can I um, just touch on the direction again? We only, like, really in the story itself. Is And I don't know whether, the, you know, it was clearly a, a a choice that was made. But instead of sticking to, like, it being a film, it being a three-act story where you get, a, you know, a satisfying ending... They don't. It's so fucking presumptuous that we have to come back to watch the end of the film. You've got to come and watch the second film. It's just a little bit. It's like if you'd have watched Star Trek episode four, right? And then they'd have stopped it just after he fires the fucking missile into the, into the Death Star. And then that's the end of the film it would be pretty fucking pissed I, off, I've, I've, got a, I've got a. a this <laughs> <a force. laughs> it, reminds me
2: of
0: those oh, memes where it's like, <laughs> use the Force Gandalf or something
2: like that. I, I think,
0: uh, Ozzy, you might have
4: just lost Joel as a judge.
1: It's <laughs> you <know? laughs> like Christ. If, you're
4: a wizard Frodo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you know, like, but that's kind of what happens here is you get to what could have been just rounded but They could have finished that, with. that. That scene is, you know, don't get me wrong, that end is a nice, it's a nice twist. It's a good, clever thing, but you know, they, maybe they could have carried on for another half an hour and finished the film off. And then I'd have felt I, all right. I'd have still come back for a second film. Well, because I they didn't, I, I'm a bit pissed off that it's not... I, I, I
1: completely right. disagree. I'm sorry. Like, at the one, the ending for me is one of the best parts of the entire film. Mm. Like, so, like, just to give you a bit of context, Joel, the kid uh, is in a... It's not in a coma, as I said before. Is astral. He's uh, left his body. Um, and they have to go to a place called the Fair there, which is where your spirit essentially leaves... Um, to go to. So it turns out, it's like that, the upside down, like, just like the upside down. Yeah. So, uh, it turns or, out that um, his,
2: the, the other realm in Constantine. Yeah.
1: Good one. It would have been more funny if you could have remembered the name of it though. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Right, that's it. That's your point, Don. No, <laughs> we just made up some root ground with Ozzy. now, for God's sake, he was, was playing
4: along and you shoot him down in flames.
1: <laughs> it, it turns out the kid's dad could do this as well. And he's just in, it inherited it from him. Um, so the kid's dad has to journey into this like other realm, like the one out of Constantine, to get the kid back. Uh, and, you know, finally, <laughs> thanks. Uh, finally, like, gets the kid back. You know, it's a, it's a massive journey. He has to fight the uh, lipstick demon while they're there there's lots of other great scares and then we get the kid back into the kid's body and it's brilliant and um, uh, it turns out you know that scene at the beginning that we were talking about the old lady looking through the window this is a, like a ghost that's been trying to get inside the dad's body and you know to uh, if if he empties his body if he's like an empty vessel that the old lady was just trying to possess him essentially but hasn't been able to all this time and then right at the very end of the film um like it's all like smiles and everything and everyone's celebrating the fact that the kids there and um the medium then goes to celebrate with the dad and she's like oh you you know she thinks something is off so she takes a picture of him and the picture comes back and on the picture it's the old lady's face so the old lady is actually possessed the dad and the dad is still stuck in the feather right and then you get that moment of realization you're just like shit and then what i thought was just so amazing is the dad then just strangles the medium just basically kills the medium there and then and you're just like holy shit i just did not expect that at all so your happy ending that you get they normally at the end of horror films completely shattered because like not only as uh, they the dad not been rescued but the medium who was a big in- integral part of the film is now dead as well so uh, and that's the thing it, it technically didn't even set her up for a sequel. Like what they did in the sequel is that like, they didn't intend it to be a franchise and they went back and they rewrote things. And they looked at the first one and they were like, actually, can we do this? And can we do that? Can we change this? And I really liked this, this, the second film as well, but it ends perfectly like as a, its own standalone film there. It's just like, Oh, you know what? Yeah. The kid came back, but the dad didn't. And you know, the only person who knew that is now dead. So that's it. Game, game over essentially. And that's what I okay. thought was so refreshing about it.
2: Okay. Uh, so one thing that, that you've confused me about there is when you said horror films have happy endings. You know, I'm trying to recall one horror film that's had a happy ending, to be honest with you. Like most of them I end in, in some type of insidious way. way. It ultimately <laughs> oh yeah, decides, true, yeah.
4: always, depends whose side you're on. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day. <laughs> if you're on the side of the killer and don't look out, then, you know, a, Well, you're, yeah, supposed be, point, you're supposed to be on it. you supposed to be.
2: Okay, so yeah. I, think, I think we've covered off enough of, um, you know... The, the film, essentially. Know. So we're going to move on to the cast and characters. So I presume we've got the possessed kids, mum and dad, who else are in the film? Uh, and are they any gods, essentially? So we'll go with you, Brucey.
0: Uh, yeah, I'd, the characters I'd like to talk about are the actual ghosts at first, to be honest, because you know, Gav touched on this right at the beginning and he was saying, you know, this did revitalise uh, horror, and I think it definitely revitalized ghosts because for a while, you know, yeah, there were some ghost films in there, but they weren't particularly good. And I'd say you had films like, like Casper, Beetlejuice, and even like the sixth sense, which is still a horror, but which was like, you know, dead people are kind of people too. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're scary at first, but at the end, you know, you know, dead people, dead people, are people too. Yeah. Don't judge dead people. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's your problem? You know, just understand them a little bit, this film completely just throws that away. And, the, the 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 actual ghosts are really, really scary. Like you don't understand where they're coming from. The the reason that they're in the fervor is almost because they're being punished because of like crimes that they've committed. So these aren't your standard dead people these are like people who've done heinous crimes and so, so the ghosts and the lipstick demon himself i think these are the standout characters because you just don't know where they're coming from who they are there's a really interesting bit when um the dad's traveling through the further and he kind of you know he, he kind of walks into a room where you hear gunshots and he sees this dead family that's um Being shot on the couch and then he sort of stood and he looks at the person who's shot it and it's this woman and her eyes are massive and wide and looking and it's just really interesting and you pick up loads and loads from from, of these characters that you don't know anything about simply from the way it's directed um the the actual actors themselves that the ones that play the lead parts are really really good you know patrick wilson rose byrne Season actors, you know, they, uh, they, they were good. This is sort of a bit, a bit of one of the first films I think they'd done. You know, I don't, I'm not sure if it was Breakout, but it must be pretty soon to that. They're really good. They're really convincing as a couple, and they're really convincing as they descend in their um, belief in the supernatural, you know, the, the, the reasons why. Their children are, are really well acted. You know, I think they, they don't really put them in a position where they have to do too much, but I think that's sometimes quite a good thing with children. And, um, I think my favorite character in it is the, um, the older lady, I've forgotten her name, sorry, but the, the one who comes to rescue them, the one that comes to sort of explain things, uh, the one who comes with the, what did you do? The paramormons, the one who's in charge, of, <laughs> charge of, the one who's in charge of the paramormons. It's great because you, you've been terrified all of this way. This lipstick demon is a really, really terrible force. And then she comes in and she's like a breath of fresh air. She's like, Oh, hello. And she's a lovely sort of mother dearest character but she's also knows what she's doing and she's not messing about and you believe in her. So she's a fascinating character from that. Um, so yeah, the characters are, especially for a horror film when that's not necessarily, I don't, I wouldn't say you want a big load of characterization and you don't want a load of, because that sort of takes away from the scary aspects of the film. Really? The, 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 the standard characters do exactly what they need to. And the ghosts themselves are the stars of a show and they shine.
2: Okay. Uh, Ozzy, I've heard you are a really big fan of ghosts. What did you make of them in this?
3: Uh, You know, I think think in some aspect, Alex is right, is that the ghosts sort of are the star of the show and I think that's to the film's detriment in some aspects because the the thing that makes a horror film incredibly scary is being relatable to the characters that are being scared. You need to care about the people who are being affected by the horror. And and to be honest with you, in this, I didn't and like... Other than, you know you that other than the first Darth Maul jump jump scare after that I kind of stopped really caring i didn't care that the old lady got killed and i didn't um the, didn't the, care about the, the, the co-
0: medium the child in the coma that was not well not particularly
3: the, because you don't really get to like I've said at the start you're not really told anything about anyone like and I don't want to be an entire backstory but if you think of you know similar f- child possessed film like the Exorcist is you know three hours worth of non-stop storytelling you know that is great storytelling no minute wasted and Whereas these um, no. these Paranormans are oh, they the dressed reason I in like the standard
2: Viking attire
3: <laughs> well the reason I called them the Paranormans is because I've been trying to like read up to try and work out why they were dressed the way they were dressed you know the, these <laughs> two guys rock up just dressed literally like Mormons. It's like watching a little outtake from the Book of Mormon, but with no singing. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> I just really had no idea why. What made them so? so and it makes like, me want to
2: watch it
0: more now. Yeah, I was they were
3: like <laughs> these like experts on the the on the astral <laughs> plane, you know. And they, they're
0: just they geeks, aren't thing. they? I think that's the they're you know they're pencil you know they're they're the they're the ones that want to do all the recording and all the equipment. It's just a nice quick way to get to know some fairly. Uh, like, but that was, you know, so, redundant so characters that you're not going to know that much, you know, just dress t- them up like geeks. Other geeks, you know.
3: It, you know. So in terms of of that bit, right? Is that the the whole process of them? It's done in like a what is it, like a montage, you know, almost like oh, we've got a shitload of story to tell you guys. Can we just like? Quickly do all of the scientific key bit like throughout. No, whereas, like, no. Yeah, because in the Exorcist, yeah, well, you want you a detailed know people details yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, Well, in the Exorcist, really you scary, care so. about those people who are going to I want, like, halfway through. I want to turn into let an let episode him of Most Haunted. <laughs> no, let him get get I want Derek to pop out. <laughs> but you know, but, you, but you, you care about the characters who are about to get uh killed in The Exorcist because you've watched them come through you know actually care about somebody whereas you don't really care about anybody in this you all you know about with the ghosts and like that's all so yeah so they are the key characters and the the detriment of every other character
2: okay so Ozzy makes a decent point there Gavi says you're not bothered about the people whose lives are being affected um so I take it you disagree with that
1: yeah, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to hazard a guess. The, the reason that Ozzy probably didn't connect to the characters is probably because he just watched the trailer on YouTube about two minutes <laughs> before we started recording.
3: He'd seen the no, film I, in advance. I watched it. I, I, had to, oh, I didn't have to watch it, but I did watch it because I was going to use that to um, to defend last year at Halloween and then because ah. I didn't enjoy it. Chose right,
1: okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, yeah, no, I, I disagree as well. Um, I, I, and the thing is, is that, um, once again, the horror films around that time they, they were kind of having much younger, like, unknown actors, um, in, in these big roles. Uh, and the thing is, is that Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne, I think they were both pretty established beforehand, uh, and then you've also got like really good actors in supporting roles like horror legends Lin Shay uh, plays the medium and then you've got um, you know Katabin Barbara War- Hershey Barbara Hershey in there as well uh, and, and the thing is is that no I, like, the, I completely disagree with Aussie because like one thing I hate in films is when it just oversimplifies things and over explains you know like the family dynamic and you know like kind of trying to get people invested whereas this film just like kind of starts in the middle of like a normal day and you know it's like kind of you're a fly on the wall into their family Family life and it's more authentic for me and it's more believable you know that these people would be like this and they would be acting like this and you know like kind of uh, running around trying to get the kids sorted out before school and you know they're eating each other's breakfast or whatever if that, that that for me is more believable than a bit of expository dialogue at the beginning saying like we have been married now for seven years, and I love you very much my husband you know i, th- I don't like that like i was I was more invested in the characters because of that, and the whole thing is that um, when the kids goes into a coma um the, the 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 father and the mother. I keep keep on calling them the father and the mother. Like like um they they uh, Josh and uh, Renee, is it Renee? Yeah. Um, they like uh, just automatically assume that obviously it's uh, a medical issue. They don't know why the son's in a, a coma. They've taken him to the several hospitals and specialists, and they can't figure out why. And then there's the kind of the the um, the whole ghost story thing happening at the same time. We keep on seeing sort of apparitions. Uh, they have to move house, and then there's the introduction of the well, actually, um, you know, he isn't in a coma. It's something to do more. It's more spiritual. Uh, and there's the whole sort of like denial there from Josh he's like no I don't want to take this you know he's essentially been he's tried his best because one thing I hate in horror films as well is that when Partners just don't believe their partner, so it's just like kind of yeah they've been married to them for like twenty odd years or whatever, uh, like they've never shown anything out of the ordinary. But one minute they're like, oh, I've just seen a ghost, and then the partner's like, Oh bullshit, you know you've gone mad. Uh, whereas in this film, you know he, he does he, he does he believes her, or at least he says he does anyway. He he does things for he moves house, you know he gets the spirit in to talk to them, and then he reaches breaking point. And he's like, No, this is all preposterous. And then you kind of you kind of he try he's trying to get a message from. Dalton the child that's gone into the coma and then you know like a, a painting falls off the wall and you know he thinks it's a sign from the kid and he's like actually you know what maybe I will give it a try so you're really invested in their relationship and their struggles to actually accept what's going on and uh, then you know when they reunited at the end I think that's a beautiful scene when the family's all together again and Dalton's finally out of the coma and he's hugging his mum for the first time you know Rose Byrne is such a, a tremendous actress anyway but you know like the emotion that she conveys there uh, you know I think it's really really well done so I I, I- was wholly invested and as Alex says it's not just about the human element it's about the you know the spiritual elements as well the kind of the uniqueness of every single ghost it's not just like one generic ghost that's moving a few chairs each one of them has got their own personality their own sort of backstory that you know like you can kind of kind of pick snippets up from this film and then future films as well you know it's all very interesting there's a lot of care and a lot of detail have gone into every single ghost sorry every single character Ghost, and ghost, (laughs) and ghost yeah um okay so i think i've got
2: enough to go on here has anyone got any kind of closing things that they want to say terrifying no okay so dave i believe you've got
4: an equally terrifying quiz for (laughs) (laughs) it. I don't know about equally terrifying. I thought I'd I'd keep it simple this time around. Uh, So it's essentially just a quiz on the Insidious franchise and its creators, Lee Wannell and James Wan. Uh, First question to you all and just buzz in whenever you're ready. Uh, Define Insidious.
0: Ah. Brucey. Um, It's when something isn't obviously evil, but... Works below the surface to damage things.
4: Yeah, I'll accept that. Yeah, I'm going to give you a point for that. That is pretty Woo. much what I've got written down. Uh, says, something that's slow proceeds, and tedious. Yeah, something that proceeds <laughs> gradually and subtly it's over uh, the... is <laughs> undoubtedly harmful. <laughs> um, so, Joseph Bashara, who played the lipstick face demon, uh, also did what for the film's uh, produ- producer? He was the composer. Uh, didn't even need the options i was going to give you a a to d uh you're right he is the composer so when gav was saying that he was uh in the editing room he was also on set for a lot of time with uh, red face paint smeared all over him. <laughs> question number three patrick wilson would work with uh, james wan again on which 2013 film
1: bam, bam.
4: gav was slightly quicker than alex sir the Conjuring. It is The Conjuring. You know what? If you listen to Gav's argument before, you'll actually get most of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> Question number four. What is the name of the villain in Insidious 4, The Last Key? The oh. blue
3: fa- lipstick-faced
4: monster. Blue lipstick-faced monster. Um, the blue lipstick-faced monster. From the outer space? No, it's not. Paramormons.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not the Paramormons. The, 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 something to do with the key. The Key face.
4: It is Keyface. Well oh, wow. done, Chelsea. Oh my god. <laughs> the ridiculously <Wow>. titled <laughs> Keyface. I mean, Joel
0: said that as a joke and that yep. was a bet that was the that, that was the same idea that they came with I've heard oh, that I film's
1: know. awful apparently. Yeah. It's not it's I, not great. It's not it's yeah. it's a bit disappointing because the second one I thought was great and the third one although it didn't follow the same characters and everything I thought was really good as well but the fourth one yeah Yeah,
4: disappointed it's something James Wan's doing very well for me right now disappointment (laughs) question number five he wasn't even (laughs) involved in it (laughs) (laughs) which installment of the franchise grossed the highest in North America
3: Two. two two
4: So yeah, I'm going to give it to, I'm going to give it to Ozzy and Alex because Alex did buzz in with the answer, but Thank Ozzy you, did Dave. say it. So I'll give you both a point for that. It is two. elsewhere <laughs> in the world. Uh, last key actually votes, uh, grossed the most. It's
0: because the first one sets up the hype so well, because everyone yeah. loved it so much that <laughs> they go for the second
4: one. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. by the oh. time the last one came along, America clearly wised up and didn't go and see it. <laughs> <in their own>. <laughs> <laughs> Question number six, which other horror franchise originated in 2003? were James Wan and Lee Wan all behind? Bam, bam. Oh, Alex is quickest there.
0: I, I mean, I got it from Gav, so... so <laughs> <think it's... laughs>
4: Quite right, Alex. Uh, question number seven. James Wan's Conjuring franchise is the second highest grossing horror franchise of all time. What's the highest? Bah. Brucey? Scream. No. Bah. Good guess, but no. Final Destination? Good guess, but no. This is Halloween. Austin? Good guess, but no.
0: Joel? Bah. No, sorry. Can I keep going?
4: Brucey again, yeah. Yeah, keep Nightmare going.
0: In a, Nightmare on Elm Street. No. Uh, I didn't get a good guess then. I don't feel so, like Dave was a good guess.
4: Not so, Gav. Uh, paranormal Activity. It's not Paranormal Activity. Is it activity. An these actual are all horror film or is it like kind of... Well, it's a franchise. There have been about a dozen or more of these films, probably more to be honest with you. I wouldn't consider it horror per se. It's... Aliens? A it's what, sorry? It's a monster. Aliens? It's not Aliens. Good guess, Predator. though. It's not Predator. Good guess. These are all in like the top 20 biggest horror franchises. If I was to say Jaws. 1960s Japan. Godzilla. Godzilla is the nah. highest grossing horror franchise of That's, all time. Past- uh, um, disaster slash sci-fi. Yeah. Monster movie. I think they're going for yeah, it. It's, it's how they categorize it. Question number eight. Which similarly themed horror movie did Lin Shay play <laughs> a high school teacher in in 1984?
1: Bam. Gav. Uh, oh, Nightmare on Elm Street.
4: It is Nightmare on Elm Street. Well done, Gav. Lin Shay being the psychic in this, by the way, if you didn't yeah. know who she was. She's also Magda in The Something About Mary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely is, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she is. Question number nine. A frequent collaborator, Lee Wannell, made his directing debut with which film? Bam. Gav. Upgrades.
1: Wrong. And uh, Downgrade. Wrong. <laughs> uh, I'll actually know back... Oh yeah, no. He too, he's also done the Invisible Man.
4: Yeah, but his feature film debut, his first uh, directing job was. Oh, uh, was it Insidious Three? It was Gav. Well done. It is indeed Insidious Three. When James Wan knew when to walk away. <laughs> and, <laughs> and question number ten: James Wan has worked with Lee Wannell in an acting capacity five times. Which other actor? has he also worked with five times? And there's only one out there. Patrick Wilson? Is correct, Gav, it is Patrick Wilson. And can you name the last film? Is that Luke and Owen's brother? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) They wish, they wish. (laughs) And finally... What was the last
1: film? What was the uh, last film
4: that James Wan, Lee Wannell, and Patrick Wilson all worked on together? Was it Aquaman. It was Aquaman. Oh my God. <laughs> well done. I think that's a pretty, a pretty decisive gap victory on Another that. Quiz there. Well done, man.
1: Thanks. That was a lovely quiz. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Um, interesting one this week. I think I'm in no kind of, uh, well, I've got no reservations at all, that when I watch it, I will probably need adult diapers. Um, <laughs> and there are, I do have a few reservations about it you know from what Dave and Ozzy were saying there are a few scenes that are maybe slightly silly um, but I just have to see how it all pieces together really uh, so to kind of cut a long story short I am going to put it on the hit list I think but as Aye. I say I do have reservations about it but I think kind of the, the main goal of a horror film really is to is to scare people I've always been on the side of, you know, not doing that with gore and just having shocks in there for the for the sake of it. And as I said at the start of this, you know, I've got no reservations at all that this film is going to scare me. So whether the story takes a backseat or, uh, you know, the characters aren't as deep, you know, that doesn't really bother me. Same type of thing with action, really, as long as the scares are there and you feel uncomfortable all the way through then I think it's kind of doing what it's set out to do there so it'll be interesting to watch
0: it thank you very much Joel I think you will be scared I think did we watch The Conjuring together Joel and we basically spooned by the end of it <laughs> no, think... you had a, you had one of Gab's cats and I had the other cat <laughs> <laughs> like, if that scares you this will, this will definitely get you
1: uh, so thank you very much uh, uh, the judge in there joel uh, honest opinions i mean everyone knows what i think of it because i picked the film uh, alex
0: yeah terrifying That yeah just really really scary one of the scariest films i've seen in a really really long time I, I struggle to think of a scarier film for me personally
1: okay thank you very much alex and um austin
3: yeah genuinely scary but i mean i'm pretty lightweight when it comes to horror films um yeah, it was um, very, very scary. So all I did was skim back through it. This time around, I didn't want to watch it again. <laughs> I just skimmed through it to find things which I remembered not liking and thinking we well, were a bit shit. But um, yeah, the sound is actually really unnerving and and like technically very clever to do. And um, with it being like the Gav said, like sort of improvised. It's like yeah. really quite, quite innovative, I'd say. It's
1: a good That's film. great. Thank you very much, Austin. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the most interesting one here, I think. Dave, what did you find? How, how did you find it? Dave looks bit um,
2: Insidious right now.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going for the atmosphere of basically <laughs> sitting in shadow for the entire thing. Um, yeah, I actually really liked it. It's, uh, it's a very good film. It's really well made. I, I would watch Insidious again any number of times. I really like it. It is a scary film. Um, the jump scares get you. I mean, and they are a cheap tactic. I, I do mean that. But it's so easy to do jump scares badly. You know, it's not as easy to do as I made them sound. The, the There are rubbish horror films out there with jump scares that just fall flat. With Insidious, every 10 minutes or so, you're like, gee, yeah, yeah, you got me. You got me. <laughs> and that happens repeatedly again and again and again. And I think the performances are actually very solid throughout the film. I think the cast actually did a very good job. It misses, it's a very different film to Poltergeist in a lot of ways. Poltergeist was a bit more family-friendly and a bit more family-orientated. It focused a little more on on the heart of the family unit and a bit more, there were more moments of tenderness there. But Insidious is going more into the horror genre. It, it's not as family-friendly, but deliberately so, and I think, although maybe the tactics employees are a little cheap at times with the sound, I do mean that the sound is a little off. You'll see what I mean when you watch it. Um, but it, it's a deliberate thing. And at the end of the day, you've got to ask yourself, it's a horror film. It set out to scare you. Was it actually trying to do anything else? And I don't think they were. They didn't have ideas above their station. They weren't getting uh, too big for their boots. They knew what they wanted to do and they did it very well.
0: Is, is there anything you'd like to say to James Wan?
4: <laughs> i'm proud of you james i did everything i told you to do uh,
1: uh, like, i i watched uh, the film but i i think i've seen it about four times before to be honest um I, but i watched it this time around in the probably the way that james one intended when he was sitting down uh directing the film and he was like you know what like i'm thinking of years to come this is how audiences are going to be appreciating my film i was watching it in the bath uh and it was great, to be honest. Uh, on my phone Uh, so we probably were like I think it's (laughs) got a lot
2: for me when I watch you know horror films like that um, you know, I get a little bit of adrenaline, you know, from the scares and that type of stuff. For you, it just must be like, you know, watching Corrie or something like that. I, I just don't
0: understand the appeal at all. It's a resting heart rate throughout. <laughs> it's like someone who really likes romance films who can't feel love. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, 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 why are you in Or someone who really likes comedy films and doesn't have any sense of humour. You know, it's like, why would you like scary films? Just describing no scary- <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: It's not just horror films, it's yeah. just don't feel at all um yeah. Yeah, no i know I, I you know i've, I've always liked our films i think maybe my issue was that i liked them a bit too much and i watched too many of them at a very young age okay. it's, it's, that I, it's that i like that i like you know like the whole sort of like atmosphere and the, the sounds and you know the scares and everything i don't, I, don't, I might not you know jump at them i still appreciate them i appreciate the story being told you know i appreciate the way it's being told the way it's being filmed and acted you know i appreciate all of that and that, that's why i like it so much and uh yeah yeah i mean you know one day there might be one that will come along that will make me what would you say your earliest memory of a horror film is um, oh, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I, I like I, so I used to uh, watch uh, this TV program called like Ghost Stories or something like in the very early 90s when my mom had gone to bed. So, yeah, I sneak downstairs and watch mm. that. And I remember being a little bit like, oh, <laughs> like, and they uh, also um, old Twilight Zone episodes. I remember them being on uh, when, I was, when I was very young and watching them and being like, like, oh, oh like I'm, I'm really scared and I don't understand. But then, you know, I I, I don't know. It's like... It's one basically, of basically, my level of fear is where you were at when you were about four or five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, right, so uh, higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Tenet, which scored 79% out of 100 on Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think, What's the actually, I
2: lower. Can I say I think,
1: 74? What was Tenet again, sorry? 79. Mm, I'm I think should be higher I'm. Lower. Go- it sh-
4: I think it should be higher. I'm going to say undeservedly lower, just because it is. Like I say, it doesn't try and do anything above its station. It is a bit schlocky, and they meant it to be. But I think people might mark it down for that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Dave is completely right in his judgment there. Um, yeah, it is. It's sixty six percent, which I thought was incredibly yeah. low. It's I very was, low. Yeah, very good. Mm. Um, Maybe you know, surface oh yeah 56.6 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, I put it once again up on uh, Twitter uh, poll and asked our friends and followers which lists Insidious should be placed on and it got a bit higher this time around 75% um, so thank you very much uh, yeah just a very very quick caption contest so what I do here is I think what do we do Joel uh,
2: you do the minimal work possible you paste a picture and then you make everybody else guess it You lure them in with claims of a Freddo, which they'll never get.
1: And uh,
2: yeah, that's it, really.
1: I fucking send those Freddos. (laughs) All these postal systems are dodgy. Um, Yeah, I exactly do that. I'll put a a caption up and, you know, the best one wins. a chocolate frog-shaped treat. The caption I've got here is... um, of uh, patrick wilson he sat there and the lipstick face demon is behind him this is the jump scare that everyone was talking about so it, the lipstick face demon's got his mouth open as if to say like ah and uh, we've <laughs> only got one caption so essentially they win by <laughs> by, by default calm. yeah uh, it's uh, mr positivity Wolfie t is uh, written me when my caption gets read and nobody gets it <laughs> <laughs> finally, got one. So, yeah, finally we get it we, <laughs> we get got it. that one that was a good one <laughs> well done uh, yeah you just bought yourself a freddo and you know what i'm gonna send it to you and you're gonna receive it i'm gonna make sure you fucking receive this one right <laughs> well, well Wolfie, when you get this i want you to take a picture of you eating the freddo and send it directly to us so i can rub it in joel's face um <laughs> do you now, know what i
3: realized today by the way so make sure yes. you pay for the right customs charges there because I was going through everything I've ever received from out of the country uh, today because I receive a an alternate amount of customs charges whenever I buy something online. And um, it turns out the only thing I've ordered or been received from overseas that I didn't have to pay a customs charge for was all that food you were eating over the last few episodes.
1: Right. Literally right. the only thing
3: that's come from America I've never had to pay for because it was properly... Properly catered for at the post office. Well, you know,
1: so. like uh, unless the—I don't want to say that our postal workers are incompetent, but uh, no, I'm going to end that right now. Your, your <laughs> going down. Away, no, no, no. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I do, but you know what? Well, maybe uh, all, all I'm saying is that there's a lot of hungry postal workers out there. You know what I mean? It's
2: like they know a second-class stamp doesn't get it to Australia. have yeah. told us. <laughs> they,
1: they know the feel and the smell of a Freddo boy. A delicious chocolatey frog-shaped treats. help themselves. And they cannot help themselves. You know, you could, you could stuff an envelope, cram it full of money, right, and put it in a postie's hand, and it will get to your house. But if you even give them the possibility of a delicious frog-shaped chocolatey treat, they will break down. They will break down sobbing, stuffing the... They wouldn't even bother opening it up. They'll just shove the envelope into their mouth, crying, chocolate pouring down their mouth. Anyway, One of the few uh,
3: things to, uh, to 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 rise well above GDP as well, though with the Fredo, it's a yeah, surefire uh, yeah. investment. Better it's than be, better than yeah. property.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in the future... My Fred used... by, by Fredo's low. <laughs> yeah. It's so high. late. Now it's like Bitcoin, <laughs> it's too late.
0: Uh,
1: it's going to be like a currency, like in Mad Max in the future, everybody's going to be using um, uh, bloody Freddos as a way of getting around. Anyway, right, I, we massively digress. Um, our next film has been picked out of the hat at random for the first time in a while. Um, and it is the uh, 2019, I think, Netflix comedy, Always Be My Maybe. Uh, so all of the roles have also been picked out at the Hat of Random. So in the role of judge is gonna be Captain Dave. In the role of defense is gonna be myself and Ozzy. And in the role of prosecution is gonna be Alex and Joel. Um so that's it. If you've enjoyed this show, please give us a like, a share, and subscribe. And why not leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? Just spread the warm love that is films on trial in as many years as possible. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Film Trials and on Facebook, YouTube and Instagram Films on Trial. So that's it. Insidious is a hit and we will be in your ears next week with Always Be My Maybe. Goodbye. (laughs)